I really hope you're as excited as we are. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope uh, I can make this hour uh, worthwhile for all of you. We're all really excited and looking forward to it for sure. Um, so before we get into the session, uh, Kaushik, I'm going to engage you in a very quick game. Uh, this no. is so our members get to know you a little better, and we're going to break the ice on this bit. I'm going to throw a bunch of words at you, and you need to respond with the first thing that comes to your mind. So are you Sounds ready? Good. Yes. Okay, cool. Let's get started. The first word is leadership. Um, empathy. Perfect. Love that. AI. Uh, buzzword. <laughs> Empowerment. Um, giving a shit. <laughs> I love that these responses are coming from. And last bit is what are you currently reading? Um, just finished Indranu's book. Oh, I think a lot of us are currently reading and are in session of uh, are in progress of reading this as well. But uh, thank you, Kaushik. Those were lovely prompt responses, and I think our members really enjoyed hearing them as well. Um, members, for those of you who are joining us, uh, before we get into the Q and A session, we also have a quick activity for all of you. This activity is only going to uh, set context for the coming theme uh, for the session as well. So using your phone, log into menti.com, that's M-E-N-T-I.com, and enter the code that's been shared with you on the chat box. So I'm going to read out the code as well. That's 9699-8127. You're going to see a screen pop up that's going to ask you a question. What do empowered teams mean to you? For those of you who are facing any issues in joining this uh, website, you're more than welcome to share your responses in the chat box. We're going to read those out as well. Um, Kaushik, the entire idea is we're going to see what members are thinking, what members are, what members think about empowered teams altogether, and we're going to see a couple of words pop up on the screen over here. And in the meanwhile, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So, what what empowered teams? Uh, what do empowered teams mean to you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the the first word actually that came up is is probably what it would mean because I think you need to have um, empowered teams within a context. And I think having uh, a very strong culture um, is is a context in which you can have empowered teams. You can't have shitty culture and empowered teams. It's uh, it's almost impossible. Um, and when I think about like a lot of like company problems that I see, um, I work with a lot of startups and try to help them scale. And when I see a lot of those problems that come through, uh, the root cause of it is actually uh, not having a very defined and written culture um, that like continues over time and that results in not in having very unempowered top-down so there's some disturbance hey can you hear me now yeah we can hear you i i, I think it's meher's connection that's that's broken Mayor, we should be we should be able to hear you. Yeah, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Sorry, I think it's just a glitchy Saturday afternoon, guys. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, thank you, Kaushik, for your response on that as well. And I think uh, certainly something that we're seeing recurring on the questions is ownership and the culture bit as well. And I think that gives context to a lot of our members as well on what they're thinking. 
Um, we're now going to get into the question answer session. So members, today's flow is going to be very simple. It's our true fireside style. We're going to be asking Kaushik a lot of questions. While we've shared a couple of questions uh, that came in from all of you while registering for the session, we're going to be taking some of them uh, from the live chat box as well. So please don't hold back and keep your questions coming in. Um, Kashik, I'm going to start with something that I read while I was prepping for the session. Uh, something that you had written about data, ego, and emotion being three deterrents in influencing without authority. Um, yeah. A lot of people have been talking about emotional intelligence in the past couple of years. Um, and I think we all somewhere have some context to that. Data and ego were two important things that you also spoke about. And I feel like that's something um, that's really new for me, especially when I read that. So it'd be great if you can elaborate on how all these three kind of come into play. Yeah, sure. So I'll go with ego first, right? Uh, because that's probably the hardest one. I think whether you're a manager or whether you're an IC, I think that, let me just put context that I don't really care because I think the management job is a different job uh, to an IC job. But in both jobs, you have to influence people equally, um, just in a very different way, I guess. Um, what I find and what I've personally found as well is when you have a lot of um, external symbols that hold up uh, and feed into your ego, uh, that eventually ends up becoming a deterrent and that kind of makes you directive uh, and not collaborative. Um, as a result of which, um, I think most people that you will end up working with become very task-based rather than uh, rather than becoming uh, you know very mission-based. Um, there's this saying uh, by this famous like uh, venture capitalist that says uh, we need missionaries, not mercenaries. Um, and I think when you have empowered teams working towards a common goal, you end up having like true missionaries rather than having just mercenaries who are just like working on a task-based or project-based basis uh, for the salary that you're paying them. And then we'll jump for a 30% hike, which I believe is happening a lot in Bangalore. True. I think um, what you said is something that's absolutely very prevalent that's what, what, as to what's happening as well. Um, you know, I think uh, while we're getting a few more questions, I had something that I really wanted to ask as well. Um, something that we saw a lot of, sorry. We can hear, we can hear you, Mayor. Okay, sorry uh, about that. Um, I think a lot of what's happening these days is also trying to create a balance between um, you know, empowering the teams, letting them do things on their own, but at the same time also trying to create a balance between, you know, holding hands and letting them know that you're there for them. So yeah. that balance, I think, is important and creating that equilibrium there. So do you have any advice and any tips on how one can look into that? Yeah, let's take a step back, right? Because I think that the, um, the systems that exist in order for these things to succeed need to be there in the first place. If you have... Um, let's say for example you're like hey i want to have i want to have give a lot of autonomy to my team and i want to let them do what what they're doing what they're best at or i want to let them follow their intellectual curiosity i think often the challenge that happens is that uh, the system that you're operating in or the company that you're operating in um will not have uh, the right checks and balances in order to make sure that the company goals are also being met um <laughs> we're not like all of us are doing jobs, right? So ultimately there is a some kind of a revenue outcome that I guess all of us are driving in one way or the other. Right. And while you want to be autonomous and you want to be empowered and all of those kinds of things, you also have to make sure that you are hitting your goals and you are hitting 
uh, whatever results that you're hired to hit. Um, and I think for that, having those systems is very important. And I think OKR is a good example of like that system. Uh, but I know there are differing views about that particular system. Irrespective of whatever uh, system you pick, uh, you need to have the construct or the scaffolding uh, within which this can operate. Um, if you just say, I'm going to have great culture and I'm going to have very empowered teams and I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do, um, the company will inevitably fail um, because you have very happy people, but you have a very bad business. So I would say that you probably need to solve for the business first and you need to put the checks and balances to make sure that your business is going to run the correct way and people's incentives are aligned and then you let them do what they want. No, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely uh, autonomy along with responsibility that go hand in hand as well, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I would say autonomy, but like also uh, some level of accountability rather than responsibility uh, towards certain goals. Absolutely. Um, I think another recurrent thing that's been coming up, especially in the past two years with the way the world's completely changed in the pandemic is, um, you know, the transition from everybody being at work to suddenly everybody working remotely across the country, across the globe, rather. Um, the entire idea of how are we kind of creating those structures to create, uh, you know, the autonomy there one bit and also keeping people motivated through the time. Um, because I think that's been a huge factor for most of the companies and most of the cultures for that matter as well. So any tips yep. um, on uh, how you've kind of experienced that in the past two years and what you're doing uh, going forward as well? Yeah, sure. So I can speak to like a framework that I found kind of useful, right? So I think from a company point of view, uh, you need to have both the, like you need to have mutually agreed goals uh, written in whatever way you think is best for your company, whether that's OKR, whether that's just, that's just a goal list, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to go into very deep detail as to what that actually means, right? Like, so for example, you could say, I want to work on this project. That's fine. Uh, but what are you going to achieve in that project? You can, you probably would want to have as granular milestones as possible. And I often found that it is better to spend a lot of time um, digging deep into those milestones and aligning on them between you and your manager. Uh, or whoever is is kind of holding you accountable, uh, rather than uh, just saying that this is what I will work on this half or this quarter. Um, so I think number one is having common written goals and um, that are really, really well thought through. Yeah. That's number one. Um, I think number two is um, creating opportunity. And I know this is like a cliche, a lot of people are saying this, which is like create, create opportunity for uh, informal catch-ups and this and that, and people are doing like different kinds of things. The reality is that um, you can you can create informal opportunities and you can say this is a 30-minute Zoom call with no agenda, coffee, all yeah. of those kinds of things. They're all great things, but uh, ultimately it came down to comes down to that one word answer that I that I gave you earlier, right? It's very hard for you to um, motivate people if you don't actually give a shit about them. Um, right. And and sorry for uh, sorry for the language there, but uh, the that that is the reality, right? Like if you're just like a I'm a manager, this is what my team needs to get done. Um, or I'm like an IC and this is what my team needs to get done. Um, and you're just focused on your goals and you don't really care about how the other person is feeling or how the other person is doing. It is it is very, very hard, uh, I think, for people to stay motivated long-term. To be honest, like until like a few years ago, I used to feel like this is just a load of fluff. And why do people bring their like, I mean, I don't really care about like your personal problems and like, you know, how you're feeling and like if you're feeling up or down and all of those kinds of things. And to be honest, like three years ago-ish, I, I would feel that way. And I think when I joined Facebook, 
um i was like i don't know like i don't want to tell you like how i'm feeling like that's so weird uh, right like why do you care like as long as i'm doing my job like it should be fine what i what i ended up realizing is that um when when you do tend to bring your full self to work uh using yet another cliche um you start showing people um sides of your personality that they did not know existed right. uh, uh also you start telling people what is important to you in um in in a very subjective way right like people start developing patterns and they're like hey like this person really cares about i don't know spending time with their family um and you know therefore we should optimize for that right for example right when well um these are things that you that happen when you actually bring your full self to work and then the other thing that happens is that you you kind of generate that psychological safety right uh because then you're no longer just like an impact driving execution machine but you're like a person um who has the ability to like talk through and express their feelings and do all of those kinds of things so i have gone the completely opposite way where now i i really believe in like this whole like bring your full self to work and believe in the lot of what i used to call fluff earlier um which i now think is a very very important part um of of people so i think that's that's number 2 um and uh number 3 because there there always has to be three um i think uh, is around is around trying to catch uh, things that are going wrong or will go wrong very very early on and over communicating it as widely as possible so if you feel that for example like something that you're working on is not going to happen in time or is going to go wrong or it's not going to have the results like you have to pull the trigger earlier uh, especially in this remote world uh, rather than waiting for people to eventually figure it out or let the penny drop so yeah those are the three things um i think uh, i love that aspect of humanizing your entire self uh, while coming to work so that's that's a really interesting perspective we do have a question from neeja um neeja do you want to unmute yourself and ask that question sure and kashik thank you for that answer i think i really love the fact that you mentioned people and billing you know bringing your full self to work because people work with people people don't work with managers people don't work with you know a certain level or a certain position they work with people and it's always better to have that sort of chemistry with them where they're comfortable sharing what they would with a friend right and in in a way you kind of build that bond and then when you build that bond it's much easier to explain and kind of get their part of the picture when say you know you're having a discussion or an argument or whatever that is so i really really um was inspired with what you brought to the table today for that my question was around the question two that answered about um where you were talking about that you know if you give people enough autonomy like you know if you give people the space to kind of be as intellectually you know rapid as they can try out new ideas and and just go berserk strict trying something new but i and and then again there are business values that you need to kind of take cater to you know their missions their milestones that you need to kind of meet my question there is that is does that mean there is a strict no no for any intellectual tinkering that we would want to do or it can be a small part of your business that continues to focus on that tinkering and then the rest of the part continues to focus on milestones and outputs that you have yeah so i think it depends on uh what level you are uh, setting this at so like i think the answer is different if you are a founder and the answer is mm-hmm. very different if you are um you know working in a big company and you're managing a team or you're part of a big team um so i think i'll i'll go with the latter first right and then i'll talk to talk to the founder a bit um 
the intellectual tinkering and curiosity following etc in my view has to happen within a construct of business milestones that you have to hit so it's not mm-hmm. like this job and i will spend i personally don't believe that you can say this is my job i spend 80% of my time or 8 10 hours a day at least on this thing and this i find absolutely boring and uh, this is the remaining 20% and i find this highly interesting so i am going to um, continue doing this job because uh, while i do 10 hours of boring stuff i get to do 2 hours of um, you know interesting stuff right um, i don't think that works so when i was referring to intellectual curiosity i was referring to intellectual curiosity within the space that you are operating in so for example um, let's say like i worked in ad tech and my job was to like help app developers make money and build products for app developers to make money um whatever intellectual curiosity i had to satisfy was within that space it was not like hey i'm going to go like uh, try and figure out how to i don't know uh, start a music loop. <laughs> yeah yeah like so i think that's the, yeah and then the second thing is like the autonomy is not in the what as much as it is in the how right like uh, yeah. like your, your your job i guess is like as anyone is to is to define what the what is like what is it that you bring to the table and what is it that you're going to deliver in the quarter or the half the autonomy is letting people do it the way they want to so if your job is let's say to increase sales by 100% now and you know you have some constraints in that maybe they're from a particular segment or it has to be this kind of a distribution in terms of like you know revenue per customer or whatever that may be now whether you do that in 2 months uh, or you do that in 6 months um that should not be an issue or that should not be a problem right also how you do that whether i don't know whether you start cold calling people and you make sales or you make sales through your network or like i don't know you you uh, you know develop a new form and on a small campaign to do that that should also not be of concern um as long as it is obviously within 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 reasonable limits right that is where mm-hmm. i would bring to the autonomy not to say that like my job is to increase 100% sales by 100% but i am going to go improve our onboarding experience like that makes no sense yeah. um that, that, like so you can't i wouldn't say like you should let people go completely berserk um and you should be quite directive about the what um and you should be the, the completely opposite on the how as long as but you spend a lot of time defining actually what that what is like increasing sales by 100% is like the top line message but you probably want to have three four layers below that in what that actually means for your company Sure. And now that you say that, like the whole, the thing about what and how, something just emerges into my mind as well about the whole concept of why, which Simon Sinek has made very popular outside of the world, yeah. you know, with Apple and with other companies about how they think about the why. So, do you think that making that why a more pertinent message across your company, be it you're a founder or be it you're an established organization, if your why was a lot clearer, clearer to people, do you think they will operate within that smaller set that you have for business mission? Yes, I think the why is a uh, the why is a non-negotiable, right? Like I feel like um, most successful companies have a very strong why, and mm-hmm. people those companies because of the why. The mm-hmm. no why to a successful company. um you will notice that salaries go up and the company start paying dividends right um take an example of like um i don't know a company that is trying to change the world so let's say pfizer um right and you think of like what their why is it's probably like to save lives and uh you know help people get through diseases and all of those kinds of things and then you think of like on the opposite end someone like a philip morris right 
uh, there is no why to why somebody would want to go work on a work at a Philip Morris, which is why probably Philip Morris salaries are really really high and they pay like a six seven percent dividend on their stock because there is no legitimate reason to hold that stock as well. So um, yeah, uh, I think it's a non-negotiable in my view. Perfect. Thank you so much for your answer. It was really insightful. Thank you. We also have Deepthi who has a follow-up question on what we previously spoken about humanizing and you know getting your personal self as well. Um, Deepthi, if I can unmute yourself and uh, ask your question. Sure. Uh, firstly, hi and thank you so much for doing this. Um, super excited to see the remaining part of the session, but thank you for doing this. Um, so I'm part of the HR team and it, I've been in HR for a decade now. Um, and a very initial part of my journey, I was trained or I I've read that you know you should never get personal when you're interviewing people, and we've always I've always been very conscious about not getting into people's space. Uh, and I've also been very fortunate with managers who've been very clear about principles, values, self-respect, and I've carried that as I've grown in my uh, journey. Um, so I believe as a manager, I feel I'm I've been very good at you know giving my team uh, you know independence, giving my team. Uh, you know, authority to run themselves, uh, been very clear about what are the right things, doing the right things, having your principles in place. Um, I, I personally feel I do, I do a good job there. What I struggle with is when they have something which is slightly personal, right? So it could be like a family thing. Where, so I'm always like, hey, family comes first, please go ahead. Please take as much time off as you want for your marriage. Um, I do that, right? But I'm very, very varied and not just with my team, right? With a larger organization because um, I work with a very, very young organization. So they all want to come and talk to me about things that are happening in their personal space. And for me, it kind of breaks a little of my core thinking where I've been very conscious of not asking people their marital status, their, you know. So for me, that's a bit of where you draw the line. And I would love to hear your thoughts there. Sure. So I think uh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, and I think, uh, so just reflecting on the earlier part of your question, I think like, HR, I find, is like a very under, un, under, very under understood space, uh, and I think especially in India, where like I think it originated from labor relations, um, right? And uh, and now like you have like the people space, so you have people who like trained in labor relations but are working in people, and those are entirely two different things. So uh, I often find that like my friends and colleagues and my partner actually works in HR as well. Like uh, it's a very, very badly understood space. But anyway, uh, so I, I think that there are some areas that are like no-go. So when I say bring your full self to work, it's not like, hey, are you single? Like, can we go out for dinner? Or yeah. like, you know, right? Like, I think there are some areas that are no-go. So for example, marital status, sexual orientation, um, all of those kinds of things are a no-go. I When I was talking about full self, I was talking more about from the sense of like values, right? Like, yes. can you understand what is important to this person, right? Is this person like optimizing for career growth? Is this person optimizing for money? Does this person want to go to like, I don't know, school later and is trying to build up a CD? Yeah. Um, what is important to that person and what is like, what are their values? I think is very, very important. Yeah. The other thing is like when people come to you with problems. So I think being in HR, it's generally a safe space. It's kind of like, attorney client privilege in the workplace right where you can you can have you can have those conversations and it's automatically considered should be considered at least psychologically safe but if there's people coming to you and saying like i don't know like um i'm you know i'm, I'm i don't know i'm going through a bad relationship or something like that i don't think you can like you can listen to them you can empathize i guess if someone comes and talks to you but it's not your problem to solve uh, but you can say that like hey like if you're not feeling great like you know here's like you know some mental health like uh, yeah that we have and you want to take some time off like take some time off and like you know you should empower managers to like 
give people time off when they're not feeling that well mentally or if they're going through a tough time but i think that's where it ends right like right. you enough to make sure that they are successful at their job um and honestly like all of our jobs is to make sure that the people that we work with are successful at their jobs and that's the whole idea of empowerment but not to solve their problems like yeah. i think that that is yeah that is not that is completely no way uh, what happens is so i i'm very clear about hey these are things these are tools that are available that you can use you know like we have leaves we have insurances we have advances for different yeah. situations that people want For me, I keep wondering, like, do I need to check back with the person? Like, because a lot of times we have, you know, one call and then that's about it. And for me, I always wonder, like, you know, should I check back saying, hey, is the relationship gotten better? You know, have you been able? I, I keep wondering if that's something I should do uh, or yeah. should not do. And I, I just, um, I just don't know. <laughs> so I've been in this situation before, and what I've done is, uh, and this is when like somebody is going through a bad relationship, and they were on my team. Um, they came they spoke to me they opened up i was like hey i'm really sorry to hear this etc etc showed them the uh, whatever resources are available gave them the time off and then like i think it's worthwhile to check back in and just ask like hey you okay like how are things they'll come and give you a whole lot of information that you should not idly react to but you can say that hey i'm happy things are getting better or like you know things like that and you keep checking back into the point where you think that the person is back to normal or as normal as they can be um i think that is definitely part of the job description um in in my view um because then then you're actually you know caring about someone um within reasonable limits rather than rather than just directing them to uh things that they can leverage within the company got it that's helpful thank you no problem you know while we're talking about the culture that's set in with younger companies i think dipika also has a question that uh, talks about how special- younger startups things have changed so dipika do you want to mute yourself and ask a question yeah happy to uh so kaushik hi uh this is just the off topic but we went to primary school together yeah i remember you hi how are you yeah i'm good how are you when i saw good, that you good. were doing this master class i had to attend it yeah uh you're uh, you've i mean obviously i remember your maiden name dipika i think right yeah Yeah, yeah. But now I use my husband's surname. So, uh, but anyway, I think we can connect offline later. But it's great to see you after all those years. Like, I yeah. think what, like, yeah. Uh, so, Kaushik, I had a quick question. Um, we are a very lean team. We are a group of lawyers, and we have not your uh, quintessential law firm. We are a legal consultancy, which um, you know works largely with startups, MSMEs, uh, younger, more dynamic companies, and so on and so forth. We ourselves, like the founders, we went to school together, so you know what age we are. So yeah. mostly we are in this age bracket, and we have an associate. She's recently joined, who is older. uh who ha- was older in terms of like years number of years and uh, she is uh, of course an asset no doubt about it but there is a slight sort of generation gap or call it what you may we really want to tap into her experience her yeah. whatever her experience has been not exactly aligning with what we do but her experience as a professional we'd love to tap into that having said that it's important for me and my co-founder to maintain a certain chain of command uh since ultimately you know how it is i mean you feel responsible and liable for yeah. the advice 
you gave or uh, you know for the agreements that you put through or whatever so that chain of command does become important in fact all our agreements we wed them with a uh, partner stamp and then you know the date and so on and so forth uh, how do you manage this so how do you find the right balance of you know maintaining a certain chain of command and at the same time not sounding authoritative or not negating the experience that uh, that person has uh, gained over all these years and is now trying to implement how how do you toe that line when there is an age uh, difference in at play so <clears throat> i um, i think at some point everyone needs to be directive about like the work that needs to be done right like there is a fine balance to it it's not a binary answer where you're like hey like i'm not going to be directive at all because you know what you if that person is not delivering to whatever they're you know they'd agreed to deliver uh it is i think totally okay to be directive and say hey like we'd agreed that you would do x y and z you only done x like is y and z still on track like is that that's still happening or should we like we evaluate your goals and by the way like you know you should have probably told me earlier and like it's better to set these expectations so on and so forth and being the or those things are are totally fine i think that um i, I don't know I, reading between the lines like i felt like maybe this person doesn't feel that included within your group uh or is that uh possibly possibly so, possibly also uh she is not being able to let go of the whole uh, you know i bring a certain uh, experience to the table and that's absolutely okay. but I, i mean i have to be instructional at times because yeah. that is how drafting of agreements work and i mean yeah. that's how you know yeah so, so yeah are, yeah this is a very hard problem right i wouldn't claim to have a silver bullet for this but like generally when i manage people who are like more experienced than me or older than me i um i usually come from a position of vulnerability um which i i find to be more powerful uh over like the medium term than a position of strength so uh what i mean by that is um like you go and say hey like you know you're you've done like tons in life you are you are you know the next best thing to slice bread i don't know anything what would you like me to help you with right mm-hmm. and um you start from there and then you will find that the first 3 months get quite rocky because um these uh you know these people would like just do whatever they want to do and they won't listen to you they won't respect mm-hmm. you but um there is a reason why you are managing them right because you have more context you understand how the organization works let's say or you understand the content matter better um when they fail is when they will realize your value so with people with that level of i, I would say ego or you know saying that okay you know what i worked for like 30 years in this and like i know this way better than you have been doing this since you were in diapers um i think for those kinds of people it is better to just say okay i don't know anything you go you do you they will inevitably fail and then you start mm-hmm. helping then you will automatically form a relationship where you where you realize that is my style and that is mm-hmm. what is work i haven't found any other method that is work for me so far in situations mm-hmm. like- yeah that that's that's good i mean that makes sense also because if you go in all guns blazing then you're probably going to upset a lot of dynamics and in a very very yeah. lean team there are very lean team it's not yeah. like there are the fast working closely so then yeah. one dynamic getting changed can upset the entire yeah. team So yeah, I, I guess I guess that makes sense. Thank you, and no we must line. I'm so glad to see you all these years. Likewise, likewise, really, really nice to see you, and uh, a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. Really nice to see you. One additional point I'll make, Deepika, on this one is yeah. um, if uh, this person like age is also a group type. Okay, so 
um like don't let this person be like in an out group to the rest of your team um uh, on like team outings or like team meetings or like jokes or a whatsapp group or memes or whatever mm-hmm. it's like these small things they mm-hmm. tend to matter a lot so all of you who are already in an in group who are probably in the same like age bracket mm-hmm. uh probably have like your own lingo your own vocabulary all of those things all of you will have to make an effort to include that person um yeah. that is when they will succeed um like for real uh don't let them become an out group otherwise you'll lose like some really good talent right 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 yeah. thank you thanks no problem no problem uh thanks kashik i think that's something that a lot of our members had also previously asked and you know on that bit this another question that came uh, a lot was about uh, flat hierarchical structures you know in organization and that's something that a lot of companies are adopting these days so yeah. i love how you smile on that bit so you want to hear um, what your thoughts are on you know how successful and to what extent can this actually be work in organizations yeah so uh, again on this i've done like a full like 180 right like i think uh, when i started off uh, probably because of like where i started my career in the industry i started in i was always like there's a ladder it's so great it's so clear you know you go from like assistant manager to manager manager to senior manager and then in india mein to there's like gm1 gm2 gm3 assistant to the director assistant director like all of those things right because it's it's just a, it's just a very uh, uh, hierarchy driven like culture i would say um so you can't say that the company flat and have titles like it's not it's an all in or nothing kind of a situation <laughs> so you can't have i am i am director i am senior director and i am evpm and i am svp but our company is flat that does not work right like the only way i have seen like flat structures work is uh, the extreme like i think the hippie version of this is like the zappos like holocratic model uh, which is a bit extreme um, i've read cases about it i don't know how well it works but what i've seen works well is having um, a difference between levels and um, not having titles or having minimal titles right and for example like i know facebook does this really well where you have like levels that go from 1 to 10 i think um and those levels are confidential to people within the company um so for example nobody else will know your level and there are only like very few titles so you'll have like manager director vp that's it um and nc suite right and this is like at a scale of 80000 people and it works very well uh, as well as i guess anything anything can work in the corporate world um levels define your scope define your compensation and define the expectations that you are supposed to deliver at right so for example like an l5 would work at like a product level and l6 would work at like a org level and l7 would work at a company level and so on and so forth but the title of everyone is the same and you wouldn't really be able to tell who is what so if there is somebody who is a very enterprising let's say l4 or l5 and like really wants like has found an opportunity that is like a ecosystem wide change that they can drive you tend to give them that opportunity to do so because then they can go and like they can collaborate with a vp on a document theoretically at least um and uh, and you know like work on that project together but nobody saying that hey like you need to talk to your manager who then needs to talk to their manager who then needs to talk to their manager who then needs to talk to the vp like that end, doesn't end up working well there are three aspects to like flat hierarchy in my opinion the first one is like obfuscation of like levels and not having titles um the second one is having management as a different job so like and this is a very very important thing i think um in a lot of companies i've seen managers 
impact is the sum of impact of their reports, right? In flat hierarchies, manager's impact is the exponent that you add to the impact of your report. Right. Um, so your, your, your team is supposed to do the job anyway. You end up being their coach. So your job is to then bring context, connect the dots, do all of those kinds of things that will help them magnify their impact. And that magnification delta is the manager's job and the manager's impact. So you can have a world in which your team is doing really well, but the manager actually gets a ding on like the performance cycle. Um, so I think that is a very like second most important thing that exists. And then the third thing is, um, along with obfuscation of titles, you should also not have like, I'm senior and I'm junior. Like this also I've seen, okay, where people are like, ha, like this person is uh, there, but he's very senior. And this person is there, but he's very junior. Like I think those things should be avoided and, you know, actively discouraged within the company. Uh, so that there is no entitlement and then there is no obviously ego as associated with it. So, yeah. So I think, like I said, right, like it's about putting that system in place rather than just waking up one morning and saying, yes, now we are a flat company. Everybody can talk to everybody and you don't need to really have any kind of like, you know, uh, hierarchy, but we still have titles. We still have managers. We still have like managers impact equal to sum of impact. And we still have to do like reviews that are incremental where, you know, like in a lot of companies, like let's say, you know, you put together a PRD or a document or whatever, like you do it, you talk to your product team, then you will talk to like the, whoever was like the head of product or whatever. Then you will talk to the next person. Then you will talk to the next person up to the point where it gets greenlit. That cannot happen. Like that's defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's really interesting perspective because a lot of people do end up talking about it. But like I said, the implementation just kind of varies across uh, different organizations. So something definitely for a lot of us to think about. Um, we have Sarata who also has a question on uh, accountability between a team. So Sarata, do you want to unmute yourself and ask that question? Hi, uh, I'm glad we're doing this chat. Uh, this is something I'd experienced earlier. And it comes up as a question where I have my team and I have been building my team. I've been building trust in my team. I've been, you know, directing them, giving them autonomy. And the senior management uh, decides to take a dis uh, direction or decision that I find will, one, be unfair to my team, difficult for them to execute, uh, bad generally for the business that my team is responsible for. Uh, and my job is to now interpret senior management for them, direct them to do things I personally do not agree with, I personally see as being problematic. Uh, how do I do that while maintaining authenticity to my team? Where I can't, I can't vent to them, I can't explain all of my personal misgivings. Yeah. I have to keep them encouraged. But how do I also, uh, you know, maintain that as a manager, I... I do feel your pain. I do feel very, you know, for what you're going through, but this is, this is the direction that the company is taking. Yeah. How do I hand, handle that balance? Yeah. So plus one to Gitanjali's uh, comment, like great question. Um, one disclaimer here is like, I know we've spoken a lot about like empowered team, flat structure, et cetera, et cetera. But in all of these strategy is always top down. Right. So um, as soon as you start getting to a level where you're working closely with the CEO, C-suite founder, that type, folks like you will see that like a lot of that becomes directive and a lot of that strategy becomes directive. Your job is then to make sure that whether you agree or disagree with that strategy, uh, you are able to motivate your team to follow that. So I think this is how I found, I found myself in the similar situation. I don't have a perfect answer to this. 
uh, or a formula to this, but I can share some things that have helped me. So um, I think the first thing is to understand why, like why the senior management is taking this decision or why the founder is taking this decision um, very, very deeply. <laughs> so let's say, for example, like, I don't know, hypothetically, Facebook does ads and tomorrow they decide to do subscription, let's say, right? And that you have to play, pay for subscription. There has to be a certain reason um, for that shift to happen. And it is helpful to understand the reason why that was taken. Now, a lot of times you may agree with the data that, that was placed, but you may not agree with the direction in which the decision was taken. I think that is that is really where the crux of the problem lies, in my opinion. And I think that is fine. Like I think that is part of the job, I guess, when you get senior enough is to, I mean, you don't always have to toe the company line. And I think you should question, hey, like I actually read this data like this. And in my view, this can happen this way. Why are you thinking this way? And you should have a relationship with your manager or the founder or whoever you work with um, that is safe enough where you can ask them the hard questions, right? Um, at the end, it will come down to some kind of a subjective call where they'll say that like, huh, like you know, this can also happen, that can also happen. I think this will happen. So we go ahead with it. That is where ultimately you disagree. That I would not translate to the team. Right. Um, you can say things like I, I, but I also am not a fan of like towing the company line at all points. Right. Like uh, where you're, you're just doing what, what, what is given to you. Um, I think it is helpful to explain the same data to your team and say that like, Hey, like this was the data in front of us. This was the decision that we had to make. And this is the decision that we as a leadership team have decided to go ahead with. There are pros and cons to this decision. Likely, like these are the reasons why you might think that this decision is not uh, is not the best best way forward. And I understand that this affects a lot of people. You know, in some cases, it might affect jobs and risks and all of those kinds of things. Um, but ultimately, this is what we think is the good for the company. And this, 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 this is why. If you're worried about your own impact, you have a like a talking points ready. I find that helpful to say this is how you can maximize each person's impact in light of this like change that you've done. Ultimately, if this happens a lot, it is a sign, it is a sign, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to project this on you, but it is a sign for me personally, if this happened a lot, that I don't agree with the uh, values of the company itself, and I would not continue working there. That was going to be my follow-up question. How, how much should one accommodate, and at what point is it safe to say, sorry, it's not yeah. working out? Yeah. If it happens again and again, then you fundamentally don't agree with the direction in which the company is taking. So you don't want to be on the right, right? Like, because you're like, okay, like, great. And you guys might be right. And maybe like, this is going to be massively successful. I just can't wrap my head around it. And this has happened multiple times. These are like the last three or five instances where that has happened. So I'm going to go find some other place that matches with my values or is a business whose direction I will, I will align with better. Thanks. Thanks, Kashik. No problem. Perfect. So uh, I think I really like how you kind of explained that the open communication bit is important across all streams, but also streamlining that communication in the right way. Uh, yeah. Definitely uh, something that I think a lot of people would appreciate also in the longer run. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about how younger teams have come into place. There are a lot of startups that have come into place as well, where they're trying to organize and structure their teams in a way that is a lot more effective. Um, just a bit on that, you know, what would you think what do you think would be the right right path to kind of building that right solid founding team? One, yeah. and, um, you know, in, in times like today, 
how do you create a system for that sorry can you hear me now um your voice is breaking let me just ask the question uh, so i think the question is how do you build a strong founding team um especially right now like how do you create a system for feedback how do you um how do you keep their spirits up in work from home i think that's yeah. that's the question yeah so yeah. i think um, all of this uh, empower teams and systems and etc etc these obviously work better once you have product market fit you have a lot of money in the bank you're making revenue um and uh, you have the resources to do all of this right at early stage i think ultimately it comes down to doing what it takes to get the company successful um and like for me i've not worked in like a pre seed or seed stage company for example but i have seen a lot of them and i have worked with a lot of those kinds of founders and i think at that stage it is just about making sure that people are willing to step in to do whatever job is required to get to pmf or to get to your next milestone or to get to your next round or hit the metrics that that you want to do so i think that's number one so a lot of these systems etc and like saying that like yes but like this is my this was my okr that i agreed like that doesn't really work in in very very early stage at least because you've got to do what you got to do otherwise the company itself doesn't succeed so that's number one uh number two is like in terms of choosing founding team i would say like you don't want to take i would put okay this is my view i know people say that like you know you should like um uh, you know try to hedge as much as possible and do all of that i would take no risks if i was to start a company in terms of the people that i would want to work with and in terms of the people that i would hire at least in the very early stage because you do not have enough runway and to fail right you have very little room to fail the whole company goes down um so you do not want to take a risk and say okay like you know i want to hire let's say for example and a uh, product manager let's let's uh, let's get to hot topic and i have this person who's never built a product before has a lot of potential and i think can become a very good product manager i myself have never built products before so i don't know how pming actually works and even if i have i don't have the time to coach them um i would not probably hire that person early stage yeah. because i don't want people figuring things out on my dime at the risk of existence of my company um again this is like very early stage right so that's number 2 uh last always the most important thing for me is like get with people that you vibe with and you have the same values and i think it's worth it's worth like sitting down and having that values conversation like very deeply around like where are the places where you would draw the line um right where where you say okay like this is something that i can no longer do uh both on the work front or the ethics front or the like you know topic front like i don't know like today for example like uh let's take a let's take a different startup right like um the let's take leap like so today you're doing like a uh, you know women's only social platform and like all of those kinds of things tomorrow let's say you decide that like you have to do uh you have to let men into the platform to succeed right right you probably have had a conversation about this at some point and you know that where different people in your founding team are going to draw the line and say that like this is something that i will not be a part of having yeah. those kind conversations very very early on is very important because then you know what lines people are willing to not cross that's very interesting that's actually our interview question um, okay it's very important to kind of know where you are at and yeah. why you are joining so so yeah. i think for all teams yeah. right i think just uh, being aligned on vision is super super important um yeah. so i i completely agree with you even though i i understand it's an unpopular 
opinion because a lot of people are yeah. like coach people train them invest but yeah. and and obviously this notion of hire fast fire fast keeps playing around right but but i think especially as founders you have yeah. very very limited runway so you have to optimize for the plus side uh, always vandana actually has a very oh. interesting follow up question here on takers um vandana do you want to unmute and ask your question she's on the go okay i think let me um ask her question so i think she's saying having takers in your team impacts the culture around and how empowered uh, the whole team feels question number 1 is how do you personally go about identifying takers in a team even during hiring uh, question number 2 is how do you collaborate with them yeah so during hiring a uh, big fan of ref checks um and like i uh, i should probably like write about this but i have a few ref check questions of myself uh which focus more around like how has this person contributed to like the team or how has this person contributed to building a better company uh which is usually a signal of like agency and people actually giving uh and not just being takers right like you have a lot of people who will be excellent at their jobs <coughs> and do deliver great results but will probably not contribute in building a better better company which could be things like i don't know being part of hiring loops like redesigning a process uh going into docs and like changing docs like you know uh those kinds of things um and they will just stick to like their job description uh which is usually not a very good like sign for me because then that basically just says that they're just going to do what they're hired for um for me personally like um i that would be kind of a a flag of of some sort uh that's number one number two is uh, on the team perspective i i would have an okr always on um like giving back to the company uh whether that is um you know stuff like hiring or whether that is things around culture whether that is things around like you know support groups i don't know someone starting a mentoring program whatever that may be i would always have things even at the most earlier stage uh, actually even more important the earlier stage around uh, giving back to the company and obviously if it's an okr they have to hit it and if they don't then you know there are consequences um we have so i think even at leap right koshak we have lots of people who are entering those managerial positions or just um starting leadership positions so we have a very interesting question from quite a few people which is what is your biggest piece of advice for those who are about to transition to managerial or leadership roles yeah so um i would so this is how this is my playbook um in every company where i've gone from ic to manager is um spend the first 3 months um literally trying to not add value like spend the first 3 months talking to your team spending time with your team and please do not add value in the first 3 months uh because you will start like i said you will start seeing patterns form around what is important to the team and you will also form your own mental model around who is doing what in the team different people in a team will serve a different purpose you could have somebody I had this knife analogy at one point, which was like, you know, you have someone who is like a like a meat knife, you know, like very specific purpose, super sharp, and you can put them to like the hardest problems and they will solve that. But it's probably not very good at like being a very generalist kind of a person who can do multiple things at the same time. And and then that is like you know your your vegetable knife, which you can use to cut meat and you can use to cut bread, uh, right? So you need to have like that. You need to identify who is what in your team. and um, to do that you have to actively try not to add value 
or be a manager in the first three months. That's number one. Uh, number two is uh, you need to figure out what are the levers that incentivize people on your team. So one is figuring out what people are good at uniquely. Um, second is figuring out incentives. So some people might be incentivized by predictability. Um, like I had this instance. So when I started off like managing for the first time, I'd only managed like type A, um, very enthu people who would do anything for impact and like would take on additional work as long as it like helped them grow in their career and help uh, grow salaries and stuff like that. The first time I met someone was, uh, I gave this project to one, this one person on my team and they were like, no, I don't want to do it. And I was like, why? Um, this will like help you get to the next level. And they were like, uh, no, I just had like a baby. I want to spend time with them. The most important thing to me right now is to make sure that I start at 10 and I finish at 6 or 6.30. And I do not do anything beyond that. I do not want to get to the next level. I'm happy with my compensation. And I'm like, you know, generally happy. Don't disturb this perfect balance that I have. Um, but at the same time, there's always pressure on you to increase your scope. And you probably as a manager also want to advance your career, right? So one of the things that I did was I figured that this person was uniquely good at one particular type of thing and i started getting bigger and bigger projects in that in that particular topic and started removing everything else from their plate as a result of which in the same amount of time and the same amount of predictability they could drive much much higher impact which helped them get to the next level which also helped me achieve my own personal goals to be honest but also like help them grow in their career and you know get paid more which is always a good thing and um and you know get to the next level and get promoted and all of those kinds of things so I think deeply understand like what is the incentive for each person and don't assume that your incentive is the same as uh, the incentive. Sure. Yeah. So I, that's number two. Uh, and then uh, I think the last thing I would say is like um, create an environment where people feel extremely comfortable to be vulnerable and to fail. Um, right? Like if someone's having a bad week, um, it's important that they tell you that they're having a bad week. And at the same time, if somebody's done even something like small that is important and good, especially in this remote world, like I feel like, you know, everybody feels like a solo agent. At least I feel like a solo agent. So I have no idea how I'm doing. And I can't wait to see like performance cycles. Like I can't wait for six months to figure out how I'm doing, right? So yeah. even small, like sending a Slack message and saying, hey, like I think you did really well in the meeting today. Well done. Like, or like, you know, giving feedback, even constructive would be, uh, is kind of the third thing that I would do. Yeah. And, and, you know, you spoke about remote. So I'm assuming you're working from home as well. You're not back at work. Yes. I've just started going back in the office last week, but I'm okay. doing like a high. Are you, are you team high or are you team have to work out of office? No. So it's uh, it's choice right now. So there's no okay. like compulsion to go back, but I'm sure. a very, I'm a very, uh, I, I, I don't, so I'm a very people person. Uh, and I struggle working from home. Like, uh, like I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like probably 30% as productive as I can be. And uh, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, and, and that actually brings me to our last question, if I'm allowed to ask one more question, Meher. Um, I think one of everyone's, I think, not just ours, right? Our biggest challenges has been, how do you really motivate teams, right? Of course, like one Slack message or one flock message or all of that is great. But and how do you go beyond the usual to really motivate teams and do you have any tips? How do how does one really bring out the best? Yeah. So I would say simple things go a very long way. So for example, if you have a new joiner, uh, setting up a call at 9.30 a.m. and being the first person that they speak to and saying, hey, welcome, like that makes a big difference. 
you can send flowers or chocolates or whatever right like or a plant or whatever you like uh to somebody on their first day that makes a big difference for people to feel included and feel that they're part of something new and get excited about it um i think in terms of motivation that quick feedback quick feedback loops helps a lot because that helps a lot of people calibrate because almost every person i've met honestly irrespective of level at some point confesses to imposter syndrome so which kind of tell, kind of tells me that like most people if not all suffer from it yeah. even people so irrational confidence right um they 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 still suffer from it so i think those quick feedback loops help people a lot in getting rid of that imposter syndrome uh especially in like this remote world um and the last thing which is a repeat of what i said earlier is incentives you have to understand over the medium term at least what are the most important incentives and deliver your job as a manager literally is to deliver those incentives uh to people and whether irrespective of whether you're a manager or an ic you need to deliver those incentives to influence got it actually i think a lot for a lot of people to take back on motivating the teams for sure um i hope this time you all can hear me i'm really sorry about the glitchy internet that happened in between thanks ragini for taking over no worries uh, but kashik thank you so much for today's session i think we've learned a lot um it's been a super empowering super candid conversation so many learnings to take back for all of us and uh, once again i'd really like to thank you for joining us on a saturday morning uh and time for all of us my pleasure thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it as well uh, please do give me feedback or if there are any other questions like just shoot me a line and uh, i'm happy to continue chatting absolutely thank you again 